has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. Two different summers in high school, I went with my church youth group to Colorado to a ranch called Ute Trail, U-T-E, Ute Trail. And it was a week of backpacking in the Colorado mountains. This type of uh, camping I had never done before, it was called No Trace Camping which meant that we didn't make fires around um, at night. Um, uh, we took all the, f we, it, it, so it was a backpacking trip, so for a week, we only took what uh, we could use for that week, so we'd put all the food into our, the bags, distributed all the kind of community goods amongst the 10 or 12 of us that were in each group, and uh, when we would, we would hike about 10 miles a day or so for five or six days and uh, at night we would stop and the first thing that we did was dig a biff b-i-f-f bathroom and forest floor and uh, we would dig the biff by removing like the top three or four inches of topsoil you know so like take it out dig further um, some people use it as a restroom. Some people had the ability to not use the restroom all week <laughs> once they saw the biff. <laughs> and then anyway, so we would place the topsoil back, and then the idea was that you like, could never tell we were there. It was uh, just this uh, transformative week for me. Each day we would uh, have a quiet time, often by a creek um, and the river, in the, in the mountains. Uh, that week, besides the 12 people in my group, we never saw another person. We were completely immersed in a type of silence in nature that I had never experienced. The beauty and the quietness and stillness, the life of the wilderness, um, Two nights we slept above the, uh, the tree line, and uh, oftentimes if the weather was fine, we would sleep uh, outside the tent and um, that high up, so 11,000, 12,000 feet, uh, the stars are so brilliant, and oftentimes, as they say, you could see the uh, uh, rocks skipping out of the atmosphere, which would happen just every, every few seconds. Uh, and during this trip, each night, one of the liturgies that we would do is that one person from the group each night would tell their faith story. Their, um, how did they come to God? What's their walk with God been like? And I had, um, I was 16 at the time, and the very first time I'd been asked, I remember my youth group leader back in Arkansas, we were driving down the road one day, 
and I was 12, and he said um, something to the effect of, Josh, what's your faith story? Uh, how did you become a Christian? And it uh, left me totally gobsmacked. You know, I had never been asked a question like that. Um, I think looking back on it, I was most surprised to learn that I had like some choice in the matter. <laughs> We'd always been at church. Um, and the idea that uh, I had like picked this was, was really new to me, and, but very exciting. So from then till when I was 16, I had thought a lot about this. And um, the, the rules were very clear. When we gathered at night, um, each person only had 20 minutes to share uh, their faith story. And I was very excited to share mine um, uh, in this, this mountain setting. <laughs> so we got to my night, the third or fourth night, and um, I just started laying it all out, you know, the whole scope of my history with God, and uh, was just really animated. And I got to about second grade when they told me my time was up. <laughs> and I would give anything to hear a recording of how I spent 20 minutes at the age of 16 talking about my life from zero to seven years old. Um, anyhow, uh, the, the gospel today is um, a response to a very direct question from Jesus to the disciples, who do you say that I am? It starts off with Peter um, having said that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, the really interesting uh, part about that that the gospel leaves out, I mean, we just had read it uh, in the chapter before, is that when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am, Peter answers correctly to the surprise of everyone, you are the Messiah, right? And Jesus is like, you know, thumbs up, good job on that one. Uh, but then just moments later in the narrative, um, Jesus starts teaching about the about something that he had not taught the disciples yet, and that is what it means for him to be the Messiah. Fundamentally wrapped up in Jesus being the Messiah is the call for Jesus, for all those who follow him, a willingness and the inevitability of suffering. For Jesus, it meant the cross. Now, Peter, who had just said that Jesus was to be the Messiah, when he hears this, says, Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. Um, Jesus, don't talk like this. Um, that's crazy. It's not who you are. Stop it. And Jesus, in turn, rebukes Peter. And after that, after that, we get the story of the transfiguration. It's as if Jesus said, I tried to use words with you. Now I'm going to show you what it means to follow me. And the showing is in the transfiguration. I think a lot of times on the outside, when, when uh, people think about what uh, priests and pastors do a lot of, sometimes I get... The, uh, I bet you spend a lot of time trying to convince people that God exists. 
Um, the truth is, I don't know if I've ever been asked that. Um, uh, could you, what, <laughs> prove, to, prove to me that God exists. That is a conversation I'm not sure I have ever had uh, with someone as a kind of pastoral thing. Uh, one question that I actually do get a lot is when uh, people are trying to work through the tension of uh, coming to church, believing in God, and the perceived tension, understandable, between that and other faiths. I believe in God. Does that mean I am denying the faith traditions of my friends uh, who are not Christians? And I thought it would be worth just a minute on, on this as part of the transfiguration of Jesus. When I've heard that, one thing that I think of is how underused our resources are in the land of art with faith. So often, especially as inheritors of like the Enlightenment, where science has become such an important tool for our everyday living and our understanding of the world, and it's good and right and meat, and I'm very glad to have received the COVID vaccine, you know, just to jump to the end point of the great progress we have with science. But to the detriment sometimes of art is our resources for understanding the world. Here's what I have in mind. Follow me on this one. When we gather, um, let's say we gather 10 artists together and to draw a still life. Uh, think about these artists coming from all over the world. Um, and even from different periods of time, different epochs of time. We gather them together to draw a representation of still life, um, a bowl of fruit or a plant or something. We gather all those artists' um, uh, paintings or however they decided to represent it. Of course, none of us would expect that those um, uh, representations are going to look very similar. We're going to look very different from one another. I, that's how I tend to think about different religious traditions. If we think about them from this kind of evolutionary standpoint, where they, they came from a certain time in a certain part of the world with certain conceptual skills, and they thought about their experience with the holy, through time and tradition and conversations with each other, we get the Hebrew Bible. We get the New Testament. Very faithful people in their own particular time, in their own conversations and experiences with the holy produce an entirely different type of religious history. Meditating on what I think of as a very similar common ground the great thing about using art in this instance is that even though the perspectives may be very different from each other, we don't have to necessarily think of them as being in contradiction with one another, but rather a deepening. We have these 10 different perspectives on the still life. In some ways, we can think that we see that still life 
10 times better, not 10 times worse or in chaos or in disunion. That our different perspectives on um, a bowl of fruit or on God is a great strength of our imagination and our seriousness. This thing goes like really deep with me, uh, wanting to talk about art and religion, because uh, uh, artists, of course, do disagree, and sometimes like vehemently, and I think like that's really important. Like um, uh, this thing that you did here, I don't think that that's like true. I don't think it's like authentic. I think you've missed something that's not allowed. And to, to, so I, I think like disagreement here is really interesting and important, and not something that's just going to be like covered over. Um, there are some things in some religious traditions that, like, I do not get um, that I think uh, don't make a lot of sense to me. But I can hold that in a way that says, um, I don't see the world in this way, but I can respect and honor that you do and have um, a very serious conversation about the differences. And my expectation in that instance would be that I'd be, like, really— um, uh, uh, helped and enlightened by, by that serious conversation. One thing that uh, uh, the other part of this is like how do different religions fit with one another is the um, inevitable thing that I've heard some parents say, and that is I want um, uh, to present Christianity to my children, but ultimately they will decide what they think. And I like that, you know, I think that's important and that's good. And the transfiguration, I think, is a moment to think about what it is that we're presenting to them, you know? And so here's, here's something that I, I, I was thinking about this, and that is Inevitably, I mean, goodness, uh, the, the conversations that I have with my children <laughs> about, like, what we can agree to and, like, well, what our schedule is, baseball and soccer and art, I mean, there is a lot of compromise that is always happening all the time, and that is, like, good and important. I tend to think that the common chord that we present to, to one another, to our children, um, as evangelists of the gospel, our common chord is less about presenting to them St. Columba's or the Episcopal Church and more of this deep mystery that is the glory of God. I think of that choice as being something like I am not, I will not present to my children that it is an option to believe in the democratic system. I am going to be like a full evangelist to them about the importance of democracy for our common civic life. Similarly, there's going to be something about this religious life that I will present to them as non-optional. <laughs> Not, of course, like coming on Sundays or whatever the specific thing is, but that what they see or what it is that binds me, what that is that brings me 
is not a particular choice about um, uh, a religious tradition, but that they can come and know and hear the importance that God loves them. That at heart, the mystery of creation is a God of mercy, forgiveness, and hope. To transfiguration, what the disciples thought they knew was overcome, was challenged or erased, was baffling to them. They left feeling afraid, something that Jesus immediately tries to overcome for them. What gathers us here today, the worship of God is something that is beyond us, something that unites us with our ancestors, with all people, even though our expression and words, traditions and culture stresses it in so many different ways. The words that we know about God are simple and pure. Love, mercy, forgiveness. I pray that my children know these things. Moments of sorrow, moments of celebration. The well of God on the mountain of God, in nature, experiencing God's presence and light. A wise old priest uh, was once asked, you know, God is everywhere, why go to church? <laughs> you know? And the priest said, water is everywhere. Humidity, the oceans, and the rivers, and the clouds, and pools, and lakes. We still must go to the well to drink. This place is our well. What we drink transcends us is beyond us. I pray that it lifts our spirits in joy. Amen.